Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Ilana Levin. This is the comics podcast for folks who are excited to hear Spanish spoken in a Spider-Man animated film up on the big screen this week. Uh, that's right, this Nate's topic is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the brand new smash hit animated film from Marvel and Sony Pictures uh, animation that just came out. Um, it, I think it came in number one in the box office and I am really excited about the movie. Uh, I think we're going to take a look at the movie, what we liked, what we didn't like, give sort of give an overall response to the film as art and also its role as a cultural artifact and maybe even some thoughts about what it means for kids versus what it means for adults. I have two amazing guests joining me this evening. I have Osvaldo Oyola, who, uh, aka The Middle Spaces from Twitter, uh, he teaches writing at New York University and serves on the executive board of International Comics Arts Forum. His blog, The Middle Spaces, publishes work on comics, music, and culture. You can find issues from and comments on his growing collection of both current and back issues on his Tumblr, Notes from Comics Collecting. He lives in Brooklyn, New York. Hello. And Hello. joining me and also joining me is Felicia Perez. Uh, Felicia is the innovation director at the Center for Story-Based Strategy, uh, who worked on one of the organizations who worked with me on Black Panther Fan Activist Con back in February. Uh, she previously worked at the United Workers Congress ACLU of Southern California and was a high school social studies a teacher for 12 years in the Los Angeles Unified School District, where she was also an active union leader and chapter chair of the United Teachers of Los Angeles, and was also my guest when we talked about Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, earlier this year. Hello, Felicia. Hello, hello. So um, I'd love to get folks sort of top line response to the movie. Like, did you enjoy it overall? Um, would you do you think that if any of our listeners haven't already gone to see it, uh, they should go and do so immediately? Um, so what are the sort of top line thoughts you have, uh, Osvaldo? I mean, I thought it was pretty amazing. I loved it. I would I mean, I would say that it's perhaps the best comic book movie ever made. I don't know. It's it's close to it. If It's definitely in the top, you know, three or five or whatever. Um, now I'm not one to rank things, but that's how I feel. That's how I felt <laughs> about it. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, I just love the way <clears throat> it made use of comics, like recognizable comics forms, in telling the story, in creating like nonlinear uh, presentations that that kind of echo serial comics. Um, just the the kinetic energy that it um, presented. And then also its use of sound, especially in the like neighborhood uh, environments were amazing. The voice work was amazing. Um, it's a, just a gorgeous movie and being able to see Miles Morales as kind of the star, um, seeing an Afro-Latinx lead uh, was fantastic. Now that doesn't say it mean that I don't have some criticisms of it, but but because nothing's above criticism obviously, but but it's beautiful and I would see it again and I would recommend, you know, anyone to see it again, I guess. Um, of all the Spider-Man films, which there are a variety, all the way back from Tobey Maguire, even further back, you know, if we wanted to to talk about uh, different sort of, you know, versions of things, of all the different versions of Spider-Man, um, this was by far the best one. And it's super exciting as well to see two years in a row of animated feature films that star a family of color um, mm-hmm. and that star young men of color. So I would definitely recommend this. I have recommended this uh, to family and friends. Um, there was a, a question sort of like in the in the prep to us actually recording about whether or not this is sort of uh, an adult film or a kid's film. Um, I went to the movie theater here in Reno, Nevada, where I currently reside and it was definitely a family audience uh when i Mm -hmm. went to see it there were definitely smaller kids around um and whole families that were there uh the theater wasn't packed um i did go on thursday night and um and it should have been it should have been packed and i i don't suspect that it wasn't throughout the weekend so definitely Mm -hmm. best one uh of the ones that are out there and excited to see two years in a row both um films being out there 
becoming popular and also being recognized uh, by different awards and peers with it receiving a Golden Globe nomination recently for uh, animated feature film. Wow. Yeah, the, the that's great. The uh, the showing I saw was if it wasn't sold out, it was within three or four seats of being sold out. So and that was like on an evening on a Friday. So it's definitely lots of people seeing it. A lot great. I mean, I live in New York City, so this that's true of almost everywhere I go. But definitely was a diverse crowd too, which is always nice to see. I, saw I will it in say. The, oh wait, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Alana. That's fine. I saw it in the theater Sunday afternoon. It was completely sold out. Uh, I was in the Upper West Side, actually. Uh, there was a lot of adults in the audience, but there were definitely kids. I kind of think there was more adults than people would have suspected would be my take <laughs> on the audience there. But Very yeah. possible. I was also at a Target over the weekend where I was happy to find so quickly so many different uh, toys uh, that were either action figures or even um, costumes, like play costumes, uh, for a variety of the different characters that also showcased in the film. That's great. That's great. Um, so I think we can definitely say to our listeners, like, this is a movie you need to go see. Bring bring the children in your life or not. You don't have to. It's all good. Um, I would also add that I I watch tons of animation folks may have noticed i've had a lot of episodes about animated uh series um like a whole series about the venture brothers and we just covered shira last week i don't watch that many animated movies uh in the theater uh i don't like pixar i don't like dreamworks and it's not their fault it's i i grew up on 2d animation i grew up on cell animation i historically have found the aesthetic of the modern 3D animated film to just be unattractive to me. Um, oh, so no. <laughs> I know it's hard. Look, I'm not starving for cartoons. I watch cartoons all day, all, all day long when I'm watching TV, but I don't really see animated movies, but this one definitely did it for me. So if you are a fogey like me when it comes to watching animation, do not let the fact that this is a 3D movie get in the way. It's, it's still really quite beautiful and there definitely are uses of the animation that are only possible to have happen in 3D the way the movie was made as it was made. But it so also plays I can with, actually embrace it. It plays clear, with 2D I, and 3D yeah. stuff too. Yeah, though. absolutely. Like when it becomes a page, like when all sorts, when they visually it becomes the comic page or has panels, it's playing, it's using both of those textures, I think in a way that makes the film artful. Like that, I wasn't necessarily expecting that for it to be good on multiple levels and it really is. This is totally Wait, is it... weird. We need to we need to clarify this because I did mm-hmm. not see it in 3D. Did the two oh, of you I, see oh, it I'm in sorry. 3D? I did not see I did not see it in 3D. I mean 3D animation yeah, in yeah. the sense of it not being That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Rendered. But then I also yeah. was listening to uh Osvaldo and wondering, "Wait, did you see it in 3D? Did something else happen that I missed the feature?" No, no, I'm just talking about the the difference in depth on the screen. Not, Got it. Not, I'm not yeah. I don't actually watch I don't like 3D films. I'm that's I'm a fogey about that. I'm like I don't gives me a okay. headache. Three fogies me there too. then. Okay, good. Yeah, they, it all gives us a headache. Yeah. So, yeah, folks, don't don't go also feel free to see it not in the non-3D. I it's saw it in like the good. Dolby Theater. So, But I also want um, to say that yeah. the animation on this particular film was also like a whole nother level yes. of the sort of traditional Pixar um, and DreamWorks animation in that there were so many different scenes, whether it was the background, the foreground, uh, a mix of the two, where it didn't even feel at all in any way, shape or form animated. It felt very much so like either it was Miles or a variety of different characters, and mostly Miles' face, I will say, that took on different scenes where it did not actually seem like it was an animated character. I thought for a while there were these moments, these scenes where Miles Morales actually looked, his face looked like a real human being's face in front of a camera. Hmm. That's great. I also feel like more than other comic movies I've seen, this was a movie that like really does acknowledge the comics as a medium. Like I don't, I really don't think we've seen other superhero movies really address so the medium this way i'm one of the few people that's actually a fan of ang lee's hulk movie and um even though the ending is terrible 
because he mm-hmm. that's the only other movie at least in the current that I can right. think of that plays with panels and paneling on mm-hmm. screen and I admire that. It may not have succeeded mm-hmm. perfectly, but I admire when a filmmaker tries to do that and and for Into the Spider-Verse I was immediately like buying in because I was I was there was word balloons and there was captions the yep. when he mer- when he enters that kind of spider world it's it's like he's entering a comic book at the same time which what I love is that it emulates the feeling of being a child or maybe just a super fan when you're reading a comic and you feel like you're in that world and you feel like you know you, in my time I felt like I could be Peter Parker now kids uh can get to feel like they're Miles Morales which is freaking awesome uh, so like there is that that enter entering the world element that that it achieves by doing that, which I love. Did you all did you all note that as you were watching it, um, there was uh, these moments whether you got super close up on something or not, where it looked like the pixels in a comic book, right? Yes, like the small, like the tiny, granular dots of ink. Dots, bandages. Yeah, yeah, that they were there in the film as well. That that just it completely speaks to what you were talking about, Osvaldo. It's, it, it was the panels. It was the thought bubbles. It was the speech bubbles. And these sort of granular ink dots as well yeah, when you yeah, got close up to things the old style color well. separation. Mm-hmm. It's like the kind of thing that, right. even if you don't notice it, it's saying old comic yeah. and like, giving you a sense of even though it's a film a sense of texture which i don't know i don't know how else to describe it but yeah and it, it also worked in the other direction like you know the uh, the character who's like really the most recently created character from that cast in the comics is spider gwen and the art in spider gwen largely has had a really sort of color wash palette that is sort of watercolory at times and softer and they really used that when depicting her. So she's like a character who comes from a post, you know, a post mechanical print separation era of comics making, and they like captured that sort of modern ability to like laser, to like super laser print whatever they want, um, in 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 the way she's drawn and styled. Like it looked like she does in the comics, which themselves don't look the same as a standard super Superman. I'm sorry, Spider Man comic. Yeah, definitely. I think they're they were really taking advantage of the of the two different mediums, the film and comics. That what the or you know what the inspiration is from. And for me, that's why I called it maybe the best comic book movie of all time because it. I don't mean that in just in superhero genre. I just mean in terms of using something of the mm-hmm. comics form in making you immersing you in the film. Yeah, it's like it wasn't. It, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, like, it feels like it wasn't shying away from being a comic book in in any way, shape, or form. I feel like oftentimes when we sort of lose these different elements from the comic book, it's it's devoid of its if it's true origin, right? Like where the story really mm-hmm. came from. And so you're just like, oh, right, this this it's just this movie series. It's just this movie series. But there was something about really sort of owning and not shying away from it and making it not only a value add, but the whole thing was really encapsulated by it having these different, you know, touch points um, for being, you know, from a comic and and almost seeming like the whole time like you were reading a comic. I felt like when I was watching the film, like I was watching a comic uh, emerged with Choose Your Own Adventure because there's Mm -hmm. like three or four different stories within the story, right? Okay, let's start from the beginning. Is a constant, you know, sort of theme throughout the film. And so it felt like you were literally reading a comic book that it was some sort of virtual reality coming alive and that there were these moments where you were like, well, now let me read it from this other person's perspective or from this other moment. Yeah, that's what... I'm about to go into spoilers. So guys, from here on out, spoilers. Uh, Also, if you haven't seen the movie, just drop everything, go watch it. Um, So like... So the thing I was going to reflect on that's spoilery is, you know, when each different version of Spider-Man is introduced in the story, like you actually get the sensation of, you know, seeing their comic, yes. seeing their intro. And what was cool is when they finally say, or like when Miles has finally achieved Spider true Spider-Man status, he gets his own comic and his own reintroduction. And it's like this great way to sort of establish to anyone who doubted Miles is the real Spider-Man. He, his story is canon. His origin story is just as significant as the Peter Parkers that you see. Yeah, seen. I mean that was mm-hmm. th- that's what I was saying before in terms of echoing with 
with the serial uh, aspect of the form, which is some, something in particular that I love about superhero comics, um, is that ongoingness and the idea that uh, there are no beginnings or there are multiple beginnings, right, in a serial. There's, it's, it's like there are many beginnings and it's also there are no beginnings in a way. It's like always been happening. It's always going to be happening in some way, in some sense or form. And so it gave you that sense when there would be a new Spider-Man introduced, whether it was Spider-Noir or, or uh, Spider-Gwen or whoever, Spider-Ham. It says, you know, we're going to go back and we're going to say, this is how it began, right? Let, let, let's go back. So it's like something... It was using that impetus that exists in serial comics as part of its storytelling form, so which made it like nonlinear in a way, which is again fantastic. I was I was blown away that they did it, like, and that they could do it in what's a, presumably a kids' film, right? When you with something that more experimental, you would think mm -hmm. they would have tried that with one of the live action films, right? And I think right. that they're scared to sometimes. This was allowed to be stylized and really radical in a way that I think, I mean, the, the other Spider-Man films haven't really been allowed to be um, I really hope that they do more animated movies because they were able to be more creative artistically frankly than they have been otherwise yeah. that was one of the things that actually sort of uh, bummed me out about the story in and of itself that it felt like all these risks all these um, really important pieces about like no beginnings and no ends as you were just saying Osvaldo and all these different sort of moments only came in the animation version which whether or not it looks real still has this, you know, uh, feel to it that because it is in, in an animation and not in live action, that it's not as real. Yeah. And so having things like a family of color, uh, an Afro Latinx family, an Afro Latinx main character, Miles Morales, having a name with, you know, like Morales, right? All of that, the, the fact that they spoke Spanish with no subtitles throughout the film, especially when he was in, engaged with other you know, young people of his age, his peers in his community, or his mom and his dad. Like the fact that that was only in the animation feature and we can't get a brown person of color outside of Black Panther to be featured in a film mm -hmm. was a bit of a like, you know, I love it when I see it, but I, I'm like, why can't we see it everywhere? It's that moment of like being super excited when you see these reflection moments and these moments where things are pushing things and then wondering like, but why here and not over here? Like, oh, so we can only get made up uh, men of color uh, superheroes in, in a, you know, cartoon form, not in a live Yeah, well, form. let's hope, my, my hope is that seeing the however umpteen million dollars, uh, that this movie made over right. the weekend that somewhere right now someone is like talking to like a casting agency talking to writers screenwriters like someone at marvel thinking about how can they like make you know see this popularity and make it part of their ongoing franchise which is what i hope you know mm -hmm. not that not that you know <clears throat> money is everything in terms of de determining the success of something but but in terms of wanting that wanting Disney Marvel whoever to be interested in doing it i think that the the success of this film will that hopefully you know lead in that direction and i do want us to talk about the identity in just a minute but one one thing i want to make sure folks know is that there is going to be another animated spider-verse type movie it's going to be based around gwen Spider Gwen, but they're saying that Silk, who is a Korean American superhero, that Silk is going to be a major character in the spinoff movie. So we know that there's at least one more, um, like woman of color in in the Marvel animation who will be coming in in the in the next in the next animated yeah. film. But let's talk about racial identity in the movie. Um, you know when when. Morales Morales was first developed by <clears throat> Brian Michael Bendis and was Sarah Pacelli the original artist? I think so, yeah. I, I think know. so. Um, you know, it, it was sort of like it was a, it was really exciting to have a new Spider-Man be introduced. Um, but I know that a lot of people have over the years like brought up the fact and this is not me speaking. I'm this is like me quoting like a lot of Latinx like critics that there hasn't really been much delving into the actual Latinx culture in the comics probably because Brian Michael Bendis has insisted in being the only writer on them and doesn't seem to want to do the research to like actually ground it in that reality I mean I have not read many Miles Morales comics I basically read the first comic just because I saw that there was a whole pro <laughs> charter school thing that I knew I had to call out and criticize very glad to see that the movie did not include this 
same pro charter school thing, even though he is clearly going I don't to know a private about school. That. I was going to say, though, what are you talking about? He's clearly in a charter I don't know. school. And plus, it, it definitely had a. It's but it's but it's so fictional. Like there's no residential charter. There's no residential schools in New York City, and they don't do it in a way that's like slamming public schools. Like the way it was done in the comic was like, oh, your only chance to have a good life <laughs> is to go to this charter school. This is your your one shot. Like, and the movie just wasn't as bad about that at all. I don't know. There's that entire scene where he's walking down the sidewalk and he sees all of his friends who are actually his friends who he wants to hang out with. And they're all like, yeah, okay, you're going to the other school, bye. And he's like, yeah, I know. All his hesitancy about going, like, it's there. They're not naming the other charter school, but it's so very clear what's happening. And the fact that you're not going to, you know, that the, the mom and the dad aren't going to, you know, talk about it just feels like it's just supposed to be normal that you're going to have to go to school in a place that you don't necessarily want to, but we're not going to name that it's about mm. charter school and trying to defund public education. And how great would that school be if Miles was at that public school? Like that whole, the whole problem with education going uh, to, you know, being privatized and taking both, you know, uh, cultural and academic, you know, resources out of a school because you take away those kids um, is is really sad. And I'm, I'm so overseeing it in all different kinds of storylines as if yeah, it's Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, mm-hmm. what, uh, the, the the issue with the the comics origin of that words much more pronounced. I know what you're talking about. Like that is there's a whole scene where they're at the lot, lottery where they're trying to get in in the first Miles Morales comic where they're trying to get the the slot for him to get into the school and we and Miles is kind of upset about maybe going to the school and we see he wins and some white kid loses and miles feels bad about taking some white kid's spot it, the comic is super problematic uh in that sense because it adds this whole other element of of like reverse discrimination or something i don't know but i know when i read that i was like i don't i'm not gonna like this comic i want to love i want to love miles morales but i don't know if i can read this and i didn't actually end up reading it for very long and i would jump back in every once in a while and check it out to see how much of it had changed but it hadn't really changed so that I would drop it again. So um, I can see there was an element of that in the film also where he talks with his dad about the lottery and the entrance exam, um, but it definitely wasn't as pronounced yep. as it was uh, in the comics, but still problematic, definitely. Which brings it, which brings us to this part that's at the end of the film, which I really want to believe, but I have a ton of hesitancy around. So at the end of the film, you've got Miles Morales talking about, quote, anyone can wear the mask. I hope you know that. So there's this direct, you know, like speaking to the audience, to the reader of the comic, to the viewer of the film. Anyone can wear the mask as in the spider mask. And he hopes that people know that, right? This idea, this invitation that anyone can be a superhero. And, you know, like I can. So if I could do it, anybody can do it. And yet at the same time, who is Miles Morales trying to be and not be? So I guess you're going to have to be in a charter school. I guess your dad's going to have to be a cop. I guess, you know, like all these things are going to have to happen in order for you really to be the mask. And I hope that they know that, that as an audience member, when you say anyone can wear it, like, no, Miles Morales is not anyone. He still has these very uniquely and specific things that make him not just anybody. And that is also woven in throughout the film with him being at that charter school. And so there's there's a there's a contradiction there for me that didn't settle well. I have a shit ton of problems. Sorry, I don't know if Cousin's allowed on here. I have yeah, a no, lot. Please. I have a shit ton of problems with the narratives about police, about yeah. his father, mm-hmm. about his father demanding that he say that he loves him when it's not necessarily being seen as him saying, I love you, dad, but he's having to be demanded by a police officer to say that this young, you know, man of color loves the police. Then there's a scene where his father's about to shoot who he thinks is Spider-Man, who's his adversary, but it's actually his son. And there's this scene burned into my mind with Miles Morales with his back to his father, who's a cop, who has a gun drawn in his hand and his hands are up in a hands up, don't shoot stance. I have mm-hmm. a ton of problems yeah. with this film and this storyline and all the storylines that have police as allies to these superheroes. The fact that police are always cast in these films as either, you know, funny comedian, don't know what they're doing, tail between their legs, key stop cone, you know, key stop uh, cops, 
or mm -hmm. the fact that they are allies, which help them, you know, whether it's the CIA and Black Panther or his father here in this one who sees his uncle as a bad guy. Like he's he's made out to be the quote villain, like who the villain is in this story is very unique uh, and doesn't necessarily, you know, feel like it's complete. But the fact that, you know, the cops are always the heroes just does not, I, that needs to change because in real life, that is not what yeah, we have Yeah, it's going interesting on. in that way, the comics or the, especially the older uh, Spider-Man comics are a little more radical because Spider-Man was always at odds with the police. The police were always trying to get Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. He would try to help them and they would try, they would shoot at him. They would try to arrest him. You know, they would try to hold him and he would have to like web them or jump away or whatever. And I think part of that, anyone can wear the mask thing, I think is playing with the, with, with the idea that, um, people have talked about before where, where, where I think a lot of uh, fans of color of, of Spider-Man who grew up uh, reading Spider-Man or watching his cartoons like I did, um, where one of the things about Spider-Man, if we took the Peter Parker out of the equation temporarily, anybody could be in that mask. Spider-Man could be black, right? Spider-Man could be uh, Afro-Latino. He could be any, you know, he's because he's in a mask, right? The police are, he's always trying to do the right thing, but the police are always on his back. He lives with his aunt in Queens. Mm -hmm. He never has any money. He's he's smart, but he struggles in school. All of those things, right? I'm sure, I'm sure lots of, I mean, we know that lots of white kids identified with that, but there was something particular, at least he lives in, you know, that for me being a Puerto Rican kid growing up in Brooklyn, that like that very, you know, resonated. So when I see Miles, I think, you know, he is the embodiment of, of that aspiration in a way, but also why does this version of it, as Felicia was saying, have to have uh, or kind of erase the more problematic or, or complex issues like dealing with police in the community, dealing with leaving your friends behind when you go to a charter school or a magnet school, um, you know, that kind of thing. Which I had, you know, I had that same kind of experience, right? Like I had, went to a magnet school for middle school. I've made, you know, it changes your dynamic with your friends that you went to school with before. So there's, there's all sorts of great elements that are possible for exploring this character, but it does tend to want to keep pulling back into this very more uh, mainstream uh, ideological perspective. Right. There's these lines in the film where you know they're referencing the the Peter Parker Spider-Man and they don't even complete the line because everybody knows it right it's that invitation to the audience with great power right comes great responsibility what's the line how's that supposed to end responsibility, responsibility. um but then the dad in this particular film in trying to say how different he is from Spider-Man and and trying to point at why he doesn't like Spider-Man says with great um uh, something comes great mm -hmm. accountability with great power comes great accountability so he's trying to say that the police are held accountable <laughs> and that spider-man just has to be responsible for his own actions and i was just like are you kidding me you're really going to say this in a film in 2018 when all these different things have been happening for years now with Black Lives Matter, Colin Kaepernick kneeling, all these different things happen. A seven-year-old just dies in detention in Mexico. Like this is, this is what we're dealing with now that we're gonna say that the police, the reason why the police are better than Spider-Man is because the police are held accountable, my yeah. ass. So I had a lot, mm -hmm. every time I loved the film, somebody would say something or something would happen where I was then not liking the film. So overall, I love it, but there are so many, so many different things about it that I think are great conversations that people should have as they watch it or conversations that they should have uh, as families with their kids, with their parents, with their community. After this film, I think this film is ripe for conversation and devoid of that, it feels dangerous. I think that a lot of the way they package, the way they always have people of color as cops in these movies is all about trying to make the white audience feel like, oh, these are okay yeah. people of color for us to like and cheer for. Yeah. So You know, bad. it's interesting. The, um, um, the, so, so Marvel being, you know, smart for a change had the newest series, Miles Morales series come out the same week as the film, which is great because all sorts of kids and people who see this film, um, if they go to the comic store and they were like, can I, is there, where can I start with Miles Morales? They can be handed Miles Morales, Spider-Man number one, which is now being written by Saladin Ahmed, who he may not be Afro-Latinx, but 
Uh, he's a person of color and he's a very thoughtful writer whose work I really love. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. And, and in the very first issue, there's a moment where Miles is is writing in his journal and he writes, uh, you know, and we see the captions are like from his journal as he's swinging around the city. And he's like, I understand, I like, I have a better understanding of the power part. And I'm, I'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing here, right? He's like, because he knows he's powerful. He's Spider-Man. He goes, but I'm still trying to figure out the responsibility part. And when he says that, we see a family of color going into like a food bank because they are impoverished and they live in like a food desert, you know? So clearly the comics have this ability to start to address some of that stuff, right? And to think about what is what else can responsibility mean? I can't, I have this power, I don't know what to figure mm -hmm. out. So I, I really mm -hmm. appreciated that from the comic. I would love for the, for, you know, not just this film, for any of the Marvel films uh, to address some of that stuff too or have some more of that element. Can we talk about the fact that his best superpower is <laughs> yeah. him being invisible? Was that did that not strike anyone? That your mm. greatest your greatest power, greatest resource is not being seen. And I had conflicting feelings about that. I'm wondering what the two of you thought. Um It's interesting because you most of the most of the joy that you see I'm expressing is from the web swinging, right? So I I, I totally see what you're saying, and I you and, and there's tons of dramatic weight to his ability to need it to do that. But I don't know that most people's response to watching the movie was that the invisibility is the is the crucial superpower when so much of the focus is on his joy of movement and like swinging, which isn't even really related to, uh, you know, it's, it's it's he has mechanical web shooters, so um, so it's actually like connected to the tool that. Aunt May yeah. built for I, I think the invisibility, I, don't know. I think, right, I, I think I agree that it's not necessarily a central power, but I think it's an interesting that it's a defensive power, at least at first, right? And it's always like in reaction mm -hmm. um, to things. So it's giving us this sense mm -hmm. of, uh, of invisibility as a, as a navigating, uh, you know, it's like that, it's a kind of a double consciousness thing, right? Where in your invisibility, you can, uh, when you're a person of color in, in you know, navigating America, you can sometimes use that to your advantage and other times it's, you means you're overlooked, right? And other times you're hyper visible. So, you know, that invisibility is trying to make you, you're gonna take advantage of the invisibility so you can avoid the hyper visibility, right? In terms of the gaze, the white gaze or the gaze of the police or whatever it might be. So. I think there's something interesting in that in that power. Like I want to see that power in uh, is in conversation with like Ralph Ellison, right? Like I think of it that way. Maybe I'm being a little too generous, but mm. I see that same. I I see it as in that vein. Like it it can be read that way. I hope so. What What are folks' thoughts about the specificity of his like Puerto Rican? Afro-Latinx identity. Um, I, there was a big controversy during New York Comic Con where the voice actor had mistakenly identified Miles as being Mexican-American and black, which is not the case. Um, and I know a lot of critics were like, this is, that's just not true. And this is important to have that distinction. Um, like, do folks have a particular thoughts about that? I wish he was Mexican <laughs> and black. <laughs> as somebody who's Mexican and has Mexican and black family members who we identify and self-identify as blacksicans, I would love to have some mixed race uh, and, and Mexican superheroes in there uh, in a comic book at all between America Chavez and Miles Morales. We're missing a little bit of the diaspora yeah. of Latinos. Um, and, and, you know, America Chavez isn't real. She's like from another dimension. She adopted Puerto Rico as her like thing. I don't think she, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want yeah, to question they recently her. went into that. Yeah. It would be nice if she yeah, could have right. adopted another yeah, country no, as well. You know, I'm just saying. I, 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 I feel, I feel what you're saying. Also as someone who's Puerto Rican, I'm like, yeah, Miles is ours, but, but you know. I know, I know, I know. You're, you should uh, yeah, be right? super excited. I just yeah, want no, some I, of the excitement myself. I want it to myself. be spread around. I don't want, we don't want us to have it all. As little, we have to fight over the little bit we get, right? Uh, I know it's so sad. All I have is Coco, who not is not the little yeah. boy, is the grandma. Like but, we'll get into uh, that later. Go on. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, there wasn't a lot there, right? There, his mom, him and his mom speak Spanish some. Uh, I'm super critical of all Spanglish I hear and on and TV and movies because it never sounds authentic to me. Um, 
I think the get down probably got it the best, at least in talking about how Puerto Ricans in particular anyway, and maybe in Dominican, Dominicans use Spanglish. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe it's different in other places. I don't want to speak for all Latinx experiences, but I'm always critical of that. But I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it was all right. And the, you know, the fact that they, they didn't use subtitles, I was down with that when he talks with his friends or, and he's tapping his friends and talking in English and Spanish. He's going back and forth. I really, I really like that. But in terms of like specificity, there was no, there was nothing there. He was like generic, you know, he could have been, he could easily have been some other, you know, Cuban, Dominican, whatever. And it wouldn't, in terms of how they presented him in the movie, we wouldn't, there wouldn't have been no difference, right? Um, there was no, no even references to like, it's funny because a lot of times they get annoyed because the way they Latin things up or, or spice it up, you know, not, not to use a pun, but is by mentioning food and music, right? Like those are the big things, but we didn't even get that, right? <laughs> we didn't even get that. So. Yeah. No, I, I would say it was the language, uh, Spanglish here and there, and right. then colors, right? Like there blue, was yeah, definitely red and, blue. red and white. Right. There was true. red and white and blue. I saw red and white and blue throughout over and over and over again. And that's, you know, both, that's both Spider-Man has red, white, and blue, but mostly red and blue. But just the way they were sort of like put together and where they were accentuated, that for me is where I didn't, for example, see like the Mexican red, right. red, white, and green, right? Like, so these different sort of are Honduran, you know, like white and blue. Like, I think some of the color variants in some of his clothing, whether it was his backpack and his shoes um, or different sort of things that were coming together as we were going from his house to the dorm um, were some slight things, but nothing was very heavy. And that felt like a very, um, I wonder if it was intentional or, or not, but it felt like a miss. Like if you're going to say that this character is Puerto Rican, right. make him right. Puerto Rican, right. like yeah. just go there, you know? Um, so, so letting off the gas on that right. felt Let like a, another misstep. I've been trying to get a handle on like who are the folks who are the creative team in the movie. I, I know that um, Phil Lord did the Spanglish dialogue and he's Cuban, which is not Puerto Rican, um, but is also not a white dude uh, necessarily, guess, yeah. although he could be, yeah. right? Um, mm -hmm. It's like, it's complicated. Um, so that's sort of interesting thing to me. Like, I don't know if there's anybody who's Puerto Rican who has significant in the in the in the construction i don't know the, i actually i didn't i didn't i haven't looked into that but that's a good i think that's a good question like who consulted or if they did they even have a consultant yeah did they even consult when i heard yeah uh, i don't think saladin ahmed was going to be writing miles morales i tweeted at him and i was like if you ever need some consulting like someone to let you know you have a question mm -hmm. about anything you, my, my dms are open i'm happy to like talk to you about it <laughs> It's like there's this idea that if you have a Latinx character and that all you have to do is do some Spanglish, just make some words Spanish and yeah, some English every once in a while, that somehow that hits it. But that's not it at all. Like when when different Latinx, you know, communities speak Spanglish, like what we actually speak in Spanish and what we don't, these like sort of endearing moments versus not. Like it's not every day everything that just comes out Spanglish. Like they just I just feel like there's this universality about like how you're supposed to talk about a Latinx community, but without really doing your homework about every single way in which our communities are different, you either get this bland non-recognition or you get this sort of like, well, that's not really how it is. And so I wonder if it's, you know, if they're just trying to make things so universal in a way that it's like, oh, right, he's Latinx, but we're not really going to name the particular yeah it's, you know, it, that's the that. tension right like the mm -hmm. i wanted to give them credit for what they did but i also always feel like they didn't do enough right and it's like and then when you, and when you spend time with what they yeah. did you start to realize how little it really is right so it's like i feel and maybe right. maybe you're right, right before <laughs> when you said the film could be dangerous in the sense that when i was watching that film i was in love you know what i mean but when i reflected Right then, mm -hmm. I I and not to say there weren't moments that made me cringe, but but uh, but general, I felt I was in love and I watched that movie. But then when I reflected, I was like, oh, but what about this? But what about that? You know. Speaking of just, it, it well, reminds <laughs> me of Obama's eight years. Yeah. I felt the same way. Oh you my just god! Spoke some truth. Wow! <laughs> wow! Yeah! Wow! That yeah. might be my my pull quote from this um so like i mean conversely like for me like i was really excited to see in the i 
I forget which of the which of the grown up Peter Parkers it was, but one of the grown up Peter Parkers is definitely Jewish because he's married Mary Jane, who is definitely not Jewish, and he mm. definitely stepped on a glass at the wedding. Like it's you the see that. Oh, it's the one that doesn't have blonde hair, the one with the five okay. o'clock shadow. Yeah, the, the, the divorced Peter. Yes. So like, I was like, okay, because like we fans have been subtextually referring to Peter Parker as being Jewish for forever, and like when I poll people, like who is the most subtextually Jewish superhero other than Superman, which is like not even subtext. Um, everybody, the bulk mm. of people were voted for Peter Parker. So that was an and and it's like he's from Forest Hills for Christ's sake. Um, so that was a nice moment, even if it wasn't actually leaned into. I mean. I, I, I do much want to say like that about the characterization of that in the movie like the whole story is you know with 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 that Peter Parker is that he divorces he and MJ get divorced because she wants to have kids and he doesn't and the whole movie right. is him learning to be a dad so you know that when he comes right. back and brings the flowers to MJ he's going to be like so I just had a positive experience with the child and maybe I'm okay with us having one like I just like that's all right there on the screen um, which I thought was interesting, uh, at, like at that sort of being the adult side of the narrative as opposed to the Miles focused side yeah. of the narrative. Hmm. But one concern I had, and like I know we are not necessarily the roundtable for that conversation, was the um, the 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 girl from the future from twenty twenty thousand and whatever who uh-huh. has the giant robot, like, and she's it, that felt a little bit like a stereotype to me, like she's. Like, yeah, that was where the, who was yeah. she? Like, where was she supposed to be from? Because we left and we were like, yes, well, where were the women of color in that film? We're like, okay, the mom. There's the mom. There's this, and we were like, is that sort of Japanimation version supposed to yeah, be? Yeah, it, it's supposed to be like the big robot monster future. And I'm just like, it's was just, she it new just felt like film? A, I, I mean, I was truly moved when her robot died. Mm-hmm. She, I don't think she's in anything else. I don't. And I was truly moved when her robot died. And like, I, that was really a moment where she gets to be an actual person and not just a joke. But until that moment, she's kind of just yeah. a joke yeah, about anime girls. And the, the erasure of, of women and of, particularly women of color in the film was something I noticed even as I was watching it because I wanted more of Rio, but we got more of Jefferson, which by the way, his dad's name is Jefferson right. Davis. Mm. Like Ooh. Brian Michael what Ouch. is the matter with Ouch. you? That what? you named, you what? named your black protagonist Jefferson Davis. I just anyway, um, but yeah, I wanted I wanted more Rio, right? Who wow. only wears we only ever see her in the nurse scrubs. She's like, no, you know, which which is its own kind of right. stereotype, I guess. But um, that's her superhero outfit but but that's the thing right like nurses and yeah. police officers those were the only heroes well yeah oh, jefferson wow. davis look at you i mean here's the thing this is what's hilarious you started off this podcast asking if we liked it right and we were all like yes 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 we have spent 43 <laughs> minutes roughly taking it apart and and i i want you to ask us the same question again before we leave because, mm. because I think it speaks to something. Like Osvaldo and I, I think all of us have been like talking about this throughout this whole time. That like you love something finally being there, and yet it's not enough. And so mm-hmm. like, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to to like what's there, and push somehow organize audiences to really push for it being different and and really tackling some of these harder things that we're surfacing. Or do we just have this idea that it's always going to be this way? Like we have surfaced why, right? Like who are the writers? Who are the animators? Who are the folks who are actually behind putting this storyline together? And this huge difference, this gap that maybe we could help bridge and shorten between what's written in the comic book and what's being put out here in the film and in, in, in this short, much shorter series. And there are sequels coming up, so there is opportunity yes. for something to be different. But it just feels like we said we really liked it. And as every minute goes by, I'm beginning to change huh. my mind a yeah. little bit. I don't know. I don't know. I feel... Yeah, I still want to love it, though. Like, <laughs> I still, I still, uh, the experience yeah. of watching it, I want to watch it again. Um, I mean, this is something I struggle with all the time in all my work with comics and with all my work with cult, you know, popular culture in general, uh, or even 
you know, literature more broadly is, is that, is that tension of, of loving something, but also always being let down by it to some degree. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of a, um, a TV show that had about six or seven seasons and just finished and no one really watched it. But if you did, you had the same sort of like love hate relationship with it. And it was on ABC family and it was called the fosters. And it's these two women. One's a police officer. One's a vice principal (laughs) at a charter school. They live in San Diego. They're a couple together. They have one bio son and then they have uh, an adopted, two adopted uh, brother and sister. And one brother and sister, they're Latinx, and the other brother and sister, they're white. But it's like five kids in this, like, San Diego. They talk about immigration. They talk about sanctuary cities. They talked about Black Lives Matter. They talked about everything. And at the end of the, at the, end of the series, I think because they got so much, like, you're so great, but it's not enough. Why are you at a charter school? And it's so great. You're, you're one of the good cops, but why are you still a cop? They eventually had the cop leave the cop and become a social service worker. And the charter school, you know, administrator left and ran to be a local politician. And so like they changed who they were, but it was still like, huh, I don't know what's happening here. But it's one of those things where like you love it. You finally see bits of yourself being represented, but you're like, huh. I wonder what it would be like and why didn't you do X, Y, and Z and, and wanting things to be more and being happy with enough because in the absence of enough, there's nothing. Speaking of bits of yourself, I mean, one of the most talked about phrases coming out of the whole movie from folks in my part of fandom was Aunt May, when Doc Ock shows up in her living room, busting through the door, Aunt May saying, live which we have established is what Dr. Octavius oh. lets, lets her friends call her. So, like, fans have decided that Aunt well, May that and Dr. Sense. Octavius used to date. Like, fans have decided this, that they were a former couple. And, I mean, because Aunt May is a scientist in this. But, like, talk about, like, reading into subtext. Like, that's there's, like, in, one word. Aunt May says in, one in, word um, in, to uh, Doc Ock. tweeting about this today. Not about that specifically, but about that in the comics back in the 70s, Dr. male Dr. Octopus and Aunt May had a relationship. So there, so I feel like that's evidence oh, for wow. that, right? Because they just, they gender flipped Whoa. her, or they gender flipped <laughs> the character, and then they still yeah. have uh-huh. a, a sense of something, some past that they have. So that makes, that actually makes perfect sense. Now in the, re- in, in the original comics, Dr. Octopus started wanting to marry Aunt May because she had inherited a nuclear power plant but <laughs> that he wanted to get his hands on but then he grew to actually <laughs> fall in love with her comics um, so it to me now I've totally bought in I totally believe it I am down I'm shipping them it's I'm writing it down <laughs> yes they are definitely lovers and you got that with one word yes so yeah, writing pieces of yourself into the text, indeed. <laughs> um, but that was great, though, her character being flipped and, and this interpretation of Aunt May. That was really Tomlin well. who did Aunt May's voice, um, which is great. Yeah. Which, which right. only solidifies that they're queer, right? Like you get a queer mm-hmm. woman to play a queer woman. So I'm, I'm sold. Yay. One of the things in the movie that I'm not quite sure how what what I think of it, maybe other people have thought this out, mm-hmm. is there's this theme of great expectations. You know, his um, the tag that Miles does, which looks great, uh, is expectations. I mean, it's really good. Like it, 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 his tag is expectations. He's you know tagging that also on stickers throughout the city until his dad stops him. His teacher assigns him to write an essay about great expectations, which he then eventually at the end of the story finishes and nails. Like, what is the like? What do you do? You feel like there's like this is a a, a good metaphor? Like, I haven't read the the Charles Dickens. Um, is there something to that? I don't even remember what that was all about. Does that? Can somebody give us a like? two of second the, the Dickens? redo or review of that uh of the, yes I, I just, it's like i don't really remember i don't remember any of the characters names but the main the main the main boy uh falls in love with a girl uh they have like a her mother or aunt or something that has there's a big old house but basically 
he he becomes a famous like artist or something like that, and then they they reunite. I don't know, but he comes from a poor family, something. Oh. Yes, Pip. And his right. name is okay. Pip. But that's all I, I don't. Know. I don't. I mean, I I I read the, you know, the expectations thing from the, the and this uh, the, through the lens of the quote unquote uh, gifted, uh, like student of color, like that kind of thing. That the idea of being the the one who's expected mm-hmm. to um, surpass your family's like economic and social position right because of your academic excellence right leave the neighborhood all the things that come along with that you know both positive and negative um and the pressure that that puts on uh, a young person right um so i mean that's how i read i read that uh thing so his bristling against that that expectation that's been placed upon him that responsibility which i i appreciated right um that sense of of feeling like it's on you Right to do better. There's this weird, uh, interesting dynamic that goes on between his dad and his uncle, right? Where he's like, mm. "My uncle is the only one who really understands me. My dad doesn't, though I love him, but he doesn't understand me." And the dad and his uncle, them being brothers. And the uncle making these references, especially when he takes him down to tag in this like area that he knows well. Um, and then we find out later why he knows it particularly well in different ways. But um, that he knows it well because that's where he and his uh, father, Miles' father, used to go to practice tagging as well. And so you get this sense that like his father and uncle both had a very particular life like his, where there was things that they were expected to do, hopes and dreams uh, for them. Maybe it's because they went to the public school um, that they then <laughs> didn't have such, you know, a diversity of options. But it would seem the, the, the father and uncle only had two options, become a police officer and no longer tag, uh, no longer do this thing. That's an art form. That's art. That's expression. Now you're going to, you're going to be the person who slams people for that or go into, you know, going in the opposite direction, perhaps opposite direction. I would dare say that his dad <laughs> and his uncle have the same enforcer. job, which is to actually be used by a different system. Yeah. As an enforcer uh, of a particular law that folks who are above them are making them do that. They're both basically henchmen to a system or a person that is beyond uh, their power and control. And so he has these two different options, you know, like he goes to his uncle. He doesn't go to his dad for help. He never goes to his dad for help in any of these moments. He goes to his uncle for help. And it's when he seeks out his uncle that he realizes, oh, my gosh, when he's at his uncle's house, my uncle is actually the person who's out there trying to kill me. But if you think about it, so was his father, because as he's Spider-Man and his father doesn't like Spider-Man and is trying to get to him. So like both of them. Like, though they're in different places, one has a badge and one has a mask, they are actually the same type of character, and they're both out to get Spider-Man at the same yeah, time that they're trying good. to help him. That's good. Damn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's spot on. Uh, yeah, I'm interested in that. I'm also interested in that choice, because, I mean, I think in the comics, I forget what Miles' dad is like, a, a, an ex-Shield agent or something, they eventually reveal or something but i don't think he's a police officer in the or at least originally in the comics is an interest you know the choice i think that the, that choice has to do uh with the as elena suggested the idea of making the the family of color more palatable to wider Amer- white american audiences or at least in theory mm-hmm. um I want to talk about real quick like spider gwen a little bit um like she sort of is this like the hyper competent girl trope um but uh i mean i i thought she was still com- compelling and i appreciate sort of her weaponized ballet as <laughs> her way of fighting she's like remember when they're quizzing him on like what can he do she's like are you a trained ballerina who can execute execute comp- complicated moves <laughs> and it's like she obviously that she's asking that because she is um, so I appreciate that they like recognize that 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 dance is a valuable skill for 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 you know for for her taking action and all that. But it definitely feels like you know girls are expected to be more mature than boys. Um, 
she's has to sort of deal with that. Like, I, I think the movie actually did a perfectly okay job with that, but it just, it's something that I think the movie did recognize. I don't know. Any Spider-Gwen feelings? They made him sing. They made Miles Morales like sing from the beginning before he becomes Spider-Man and singing is like how he calms down and kind of gets into a groove. And that's part mm-hmm. of, you know, how he gets to sort of hone in on being able to use his power of invisibility and that sort of let go and sort of, instead of trying to, you know, um, make it happen. Um, but in terms of her, I just, I love <laughs> the part actually when her hair is removed and there's this whole moment about like whether or not, not having all long hair still makes you quote a girl or a girl that doesn't like look weird or funny. I wish they, she would have maybe owned that a little bit more and liked her hair being gone versus she had kind of has these snickers of like, yeah, I know you messed up my hair. Yeah, it's a cool hair too, too. It's a cool, it's a fashionable haircut. Like is, I assumed, is, I, I'm surprised that that's how she got she, it, I guess. he does like the haircut and decides to keep it? I thought there was a, I thought there was like a hint there or a little wink at that or something. I mean, I would have liked it mm-hmm. to be a little more explicit, but I, I think there was something there. Right. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it does look right. okay, but it's, 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 it's not Gwen. Right. Who's like, I like it. Everything. Right. It, it, in other words, this this movie does not hit the Bechtel test, right? Like it does not mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. She only oh, likes right. her hair once Miles is like kind mm-hmm. of okay with her mm-hmm. hair. Like everything. Yeah, is I don't have that many feelings it. about the character in general. I'm not that familiar with the with the character. I think she was fine in the film. I think though I right, she I think you're right to suggest that she does fill this kind of hyper competent girl trope. Like, where's her opportunity to be a little messy right or like unsure or whatever but then again right it's not quite her mm-hmm. film she's a supporting character maybe we'll see that in the in the spinoff and we'll get to see more depth to her character and right. yeah. um may, she could totally be cuban maybe she's cuban she could be a blonde cuban <laughs> i mean cameron diaz that's all i'm gonna say yeah, and her, her the voice actor who played her is uh, is by is uh, mu- is uh, multiracial, um, so you that's go. interesting. Um, well, uh, I want to thank everybody. Like, I this is exactly the conversation that I've wanted folks to to have on this. I I do want to sort of say a couple of comic specific things, and again, chime in on this if you're feeling it, like I I the way the movie um, worked in the names mm-hmm. of some of the key Spider-Man artists and writers over the years. I was glad to see that happen. Um, I don't think that they didn't. I was, I felt like they were wrong to sort of put Steve Ditko's name on the same level of equivalence as like people like John Romita and Bendis, the way they were shouted out. But then at the very end, they remembered to like do a real dedication to Steve Ditko and to Stan Lee um, uh, and the Steve Ditko right. dedication and the end of the movie that's like a post-credit like screen mm-hmm. saying he that he helped make us feel less alone is like I I would have written that I thought that that was a a, a very good way to express appreciation for Steve Ditko as an artist even though. Right. Of course, they never gave him the money they needed to. They continued to steal his intellectual <laughs> yeah. property, and he's dead now and can't appreciate the accolades. Like, um, even they sent them, they sent them, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. Um, and I thought the Stan Lee cameo was actually, you know, and I, I'm folks can listen to a whole episode I recorded where we talk a good length about the problems with Stan Lee. But I thought that that particular Stan Lee uh, appearance in the movie where he's saying that like the costume fits everyone. Yeah. um, But then it also shifts to showing that he doesn't take, that he's like, he won't accept any exchanges or returns Mm -hmm. because he's the businessman. I'm like, that is the most peak Stan Lee representation (laughs) in any movie. It's like touching, but he also has your money too short <laughs> so it's it's, it's exactly little. it's a little like you know it was like exactly a, yeah though i have to say the quote at it's the a end, good the tongue in cheek i like at the end uh where they where they had these you know they had him say like i forget like where when anyone feels like they should or would do the right thing they're the real superheroes or something like that i don't remember, I don't remember the exact quote um now but uh, it's funny because you know yeah, being, that sounds about right. Uh, being into comics, being a comic scholar, when Stanley passed away, I had lots of people ask me like how I felt about it, and I always said the same thing. He was 95. 
Like, you know, he, he was, you know, like, I, I, I'm i I'm sure it's tough for his family, whatever, and I know fans <laughs> love them, whatever, but at the same time, like, 95 is good, right? Like, that's, you know. Um, but the when I saw the quote, yeah. having, having just had this experience and thinking about what it gave me and what it gave, like, you know, 12-year-old Osvaldo that was, lives inside, uh, the quote really, I felt, I, this was the first time yep. since his death that I felt like, like a little choked up, like a little, like, like there was something there, like something genuine yeah. there in, that, in that moment, you know? I mean, the, I have, I've, like I've said, the, the, if, if Stanley never did anything except write the line of narration with great power also must come great responsibility into a story for children, yeah. like that would still be a great artistic contribution to <laughs> yes. American culture. Yes. Um, and it's like, yep, that's freaking brilliant and powerful. And the movie definitely let me feel that. So uh, anybody want to share final thoughts about where you sit on the movie <laughs> after our, our brutal analysis of, you know, movies that you can have a discussion about with strangers or with friends or with family and talk about the parts that you didn't like about it that is the make for me of a great film. Um, and I think that there's a lot of films that are up for different nominations, whether it's Black Panther or this one, um, this particular year, I think it's a good year for film and it's a good year for folks of color who like watching films and seeing them. There are people who left watching Black Panther and feeling like that was a shit show because they were more on the side of Killmonger than anyone else. And so I feel like being able to have these discussions and to have these moments of like, eh, oh, mm, oh, but that was great. Like that is actually what makes a good film. So I still loved it. Um, and I still have issues Um, with it. uh, Mm -hmm. I'm always, for me, what's great about culture and call these cultural artifacts is being able to talk about them, right? And to think about how they reflect or influence our, our world, right? And our lives. Um, so, I'm, I'm more than happy to to recommend this film and and to have people see it. But I'm also hopeful hopeful that people will also take an opportunity to think about even if if everything else of our analysis is like something they're not going to think of. If only they're going to think you know or question why does it take till now for there to be a brown Spider Man right on the movies in the movies or why exactly uh, you know. It, it he exists or he kind of is like mentored by this like white world of multiple Peter Parkers, right? Um, so like why that has to be or why that has been. I mean, I think that that in and of itself becomes a, a stepping stone for a, a deeper conversation, hopefully. And maybe when the new movie comes out, they'll actually hire someone Korean American yeah. to help work on the yeah. Cindy. Moon I mean, character. that's also you know one that's also a whole new subject. But the thing Shows about consultants is that they can still not quite get things right. Right? It's like there, there's, there's idiosyncratic. We all have idiosyncratic relationships <laughs> to our own cultures, and so I think yes. that that's also something to keep in mind. Right? That the that the insider knowledge of one person isn't going to fix it either. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why it should be consultants, mm-hmm. plural. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again. Um, just if what 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 do folks have coming up that you might want to promote to our listeners? Um, um, I, I'm just I have regular well, uh, posts uh, coming up on the middle spaces. That's middlespaces.com with no spaces in it, ironically. Um, and we're including uh, earlier this year we mm-hmm. did a roundtable on. Uh, uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick and Valentin DeLandro's uh, Bitch Planet and we're doing a second roundtable coming up at the beginning of the next year on sound uh, in comics so I mean that's something that people might be interested in but if you're just looking for regular uh, writing on comics and culture particularly around race and gender you should check it out Awesome thank you Felicia what about you? Well, I'm about to have a winter vacation, uh, which is my next big thing coming up, not working at all. Um, But there are a series of of new films that are coming out that I love. Um, Folks can check out on Facebook, Lucha's Flicks Picks. You'll find a picture of a small Latinx uh, child riding an E.T. bicycle at Universal Studios circa 1985. 
um, and that would be me. And that's where I put yes. different, uh, different um, reviews of all different kinds of films, fiction, nonfiction, documentary, uh, cartoon or not, uh, comic or not. And um, you'll see, you can see my review of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse there. Um, I tend to use all of my reviews mixing two different films um, and trying to explain the film in that way. So no offense, but I explained this film as think Black Panther meets Powderpuff Girls. And it wasn't any <laughs> any sort of, you know, I, I love Powderpuff Girls and I love Black Panther. And it's just sort of this mix of, of loving uh, both of those uh, into this film. So people can check that out. Thank you, guys. And Graphic Policy will be back next week. Um, I'm not exactly sure the next episode, but you can find Graphic Policy at on iTunes, SoundCloud, um, obviously Blog Talk Radio. I'm on Twitter all the time. Uh, E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Elana underscore Brooklyn. And follow us for comics, news, and reviews. I Oh, yeah, we are doing an end of the year best of 2018 episode, so that'll probably be the next episode we have coming up. So thank, thank you, you all, and like we'd like to say, keep it geeky. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>